This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray together. Lord, on this Father's Day, it's so appropriate to sing about how deep the Father's love for us because, Lord, you are the perfect Father that no earthly father could ever be. And, Lord, your your love is so deep and so majestic and so strong and it is ultimately displayed as you gave your Son to die for us on the cross and to be raised from the dead, the heart of the gospel. And so, Lord, this morning and next Sunday, as we look at the cross and the resurrection, we pray that your spirit would impart to us in a deeper way than ever before the depth of your great love. Lord, may we be blown away by your love for us in the gospel. And so we we pray for your spirit now to speak to us through your word, which is the sword of the spirit. And we pray for your son to be exalted. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. So no sermon series (laughs) on a gospel where we we are walking through a gospel and we've been walking through the gospel of Luke. No, No series on... A gospel, no, no series called Tell Me the Story of Jesus would be complete if we didn't finish with the cross and the resurrection. And that's because the story of Jesus does not end with Jesus' teaching. The story of Jesus ends with Jesus dying for sinners like us on a cross and being raised victoriously from the dead. So that's how we're gonna finish this series. This Sunday and next. Today we're gonna look at the cross. Next Sunday we are going to look at the resurrection. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called gospels. The word in Greek for gospel is euangelion. It means good news. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners and he is risen from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the apostle Paul says, for I, I passed on to you what is of most importance, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. When you are sharing with your friends, if you don't tell them anything else, tell them that Jesus died for their sins and that he rose from the dead. Because if we don't do that, we might have had a spiritual conversation, but we haven't shared the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for sinners and that he rose from the dead. So that's what we're gonna talk about. 
these next two weeks. Now, in this series, we've been walking through Luke by looking at the material that is unique to Luke, the material that is not found in the other three Gospels. And there are things about Luke's account of the cross that we do not see in the other three Gospels, and the same thing with Christ's resurrection. And so that's what we're going to do today and next week. Today, the cross. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And we're going to look today um, at Christ's amazing love. Luke 23, and we're going to pick it up at verse 26. Luke 23 and verse 26. As we look at Luke's account of the cross. Amazing love. How can it be? This chapter, this passage, just the love of Jesus. She's just coming through every word. Let's look at it together. Follow along as in your copy of God's word as I read. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They, they came offering him sour wine and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the, one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you were undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, we see the text kind of breaks down into two parts. First of all, we see action that happens all as Jesus is on his way to the cross. And then we see action that happens as Jesus is on the cross. First of all, what do we see on his way to the cross? 
in verses 26 through 31. Let's look at verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. Now, there are just so many beautiful things in verse 26. First of all, the providence of God in putting Simon, this, who was probably a, a Jewish pilgrim, coming in from Africa, he's African, Cyrenian, which would be Tripoli today in Libya, North, Northern Africa. And so he's probably a Jewish pilgrim that has come to Jerusalem for Passover from Africa. And the, the providence of God in putting this African man at this particular place, at this particular moment, is amazing. What is one of the themes that we have seen in the Gospel of Luke? Over and over and over, we have seen that this Gospel is for the world. It's for, for, for people from every color, every language, every tribe, every people group. We've seen that throughout the Gospel of Luke. And now, in the beautiful providence of God, Here's this African man who is at this place, at this moment, who is going to have the honor of, of, of carrying the cross of, of, of Jesus. And you know, it's very interesting because um, in the early church, some of the key figures are African. Augustine, who was probably the greatest theologian in the first 1,000 years of the Christian church, was a North African like Simon. Athanasius, whose courageous stand for the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity kept the church from heresy, was a North African as well. And Simon, a Cyrenian, is a North African. And, and we see the theme here of this gospel being for people from all the world. What's the first thing that we're going to see in the second, really the second part of this book, the book of Acts, in the very first chapter, what are we going to see? Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This gospel is not like a localized thing. It's a global thing. It's for all the world. And, and we see that demonstrated here in the fact that this African man is going to be carrying the cross of Jesus, and we'll talk about in a moment, in all likelihood, he became a follower of Jesus. Now, the reason that he's carrying the cross is because Jesus could no longer carry it. Jesus has been beaten within an inch of his life. And so when they see that Jesus is no longer able to carry his own cross, the Roman soldiers just select someone in the crowd to carry it. And they did that because Romans would never carry a cross. It was too disgraceful. And so they just seized someone to, to carry it. But you know what? Simon, after he became a follower of Jesus, he was going to look back on this 
as the highest honor of his life to be able to carry the cross of his Lord because it's almost certain that he becomes a follower of Jesus, maybe that day, but certainly at some point. So this is kind of fascinating, the way that this is kind of comes together. But in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark's account of this, in Mark 15 and verse 21, Mark says this, they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why does Mark go out of his way to tell us who Simon's sons were, that he had two sons named Alexander and Rufus. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because Mark is writing to the church at Rome, and he knows that the Christians in Rome know who Alexander and Rufus are, that they know them. That's why he mentions it. And so here's another incredible piece of the story. When Paul signs off at the end of Romans, in Romans chapter 16, what does Paul say in Romans 16 and verse 13? He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. In other words, his mother has become like a mother to me, right? So Paul as he's talking to the church at Rome, he mentions Rufus and Rufus's mother. So put all of this together and what do we see? We see that this family, the family of Simon of Cyrene becomes a Christian family. And it all begins in this moment when one of the soldiers just points to Simon and he says, you carry the cross. Now, it seems so random. You know, the soldier is just looking. He's just looking at the first able-bodied guy he can see to carry the cross. It seems random. But friends, nothing in our lives, if you're a believer, nothing in your life is random. It's not happening by coincidence or chance. This is the providence of God. God's sovereignty, his providence is always at work in the details of our lives. It's so important to understand that. It's especially important for us to understand that in trials, where we're going through trials, to know that our suffering has meaning, that God is, and his providence is working all things together for his glory and our good, and that what is happening is not something that's random. No, there's a, there's a good, good father who loves you and who's in control in this world. And he was in control in, in placing this man at this place at this moment to carry the cross of Jesus. Now, that, that picks up on another theme that we see in Luke, and that is that we are to bear the cross of Jesus. I want you to turn back to chapter 9. Turn back to chapter 9 and let's look at verse 23. 
Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus is the speaker here. And it says, then he said to them all, all of us, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, to follow Jesus is to be willing to take up the cross of Jesus daily, every day. That means dying to our sin, dying to ourself. And it means being willing to suffer for Christ when necessary. And the early Christians considered suffering for Christ, and they were suffering for Christ, as many brothers and sisters throughout the world are today. They considered suffering for Christ to be the highest honor. There's a great story about Charles Simeon, who was a pastor in in Cambridge, England, late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, But uh, Simeon uh, was at this church, Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, for like 50 years, but had a hard ministry there. There were a lot of people at that church when he went there, you know, just did not want him or, or whatever. And so, you know, they, they were all, he, got, he was persecuted in various ways. Um, one, one thing that happened was that, you know, the church, if you've ever been over to Bruton Parish in Williamsburg, you may have noticed like the pews in that day would be like they would have a door on them. And so some of Simeon's parishioners locked the door of their pew, they had personal pews, to keep anyone new from being able to, to sit there. So new people would have to like sit out in the aisle. I mean, it was a very difficult situation that Charles Simeon was in. And one day, he was walking across the ca- uh, campus of Cambridge University uh, there in town, and he was just discouraged, you know, and he was just going through so many hard things that were happening uh, with the church and so forth. And so he was down, he was feeling beaten up and discouraged, and he's like, Lord, I, I just need a word of comfort from your word. And he had his Bible, and he just opened it, and his eyes fell on, on this verse <laughs> that we're looking at about Simon carrying the cross of Jesus, and, and their names were similar. He was Charles Simeon, and this was Simon carrying the cross, and then it hit him. What an honor. What an honor to carry the cross of Jesus. What an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. And Simeon said, it was the very word I needed. What a privilege to have the cross laid on me to bear it with Jesus. It was enough I could leap and sing for joy. Lay it on me, Lord, I cried. And henceforth, I bound persecution as a wreath of glory round my brow. I want to tell you this. Any suffering that we do for the cause of Christ in the name of Christ is the highest honor. Look at verse 27. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now, this picks up on another theme that we have seen throughout Luke, and that's the role of women 
in the ministry of Jesus. We've seen that Jesus elevated women, treated women with a dignity that no one else did uh, in that culture uh, at that time. What we're going to see in the passion is that women are the last ones at the cross and the first ones at the empty tomb. And so this is picking up on one of those Lucan themes. And then in verses 28 through 31, which is the material found only in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is warning about the judgment that is going to come. It's going to come because of Jerusalem's rejection of him as their king, and they are going to choose the path of armed rebellion with Rome, and that is going to result in terrible calamity, terrible judgment in 70 AD. Let's turn, turn back to chapter 19 because Jesus here in verses uh, 28 through 31 is picking up on a theme that we see in, in chapter 19 as Jesus comes into Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passion Week. Night, chapter 19 and verses 41 through 44. It says, As he approached and saw the city, He wept for it, saying, If you knew this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Now, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in verses 28 through 31. He's talking about what was going to happen in 70 AD. They, the, the Jerusalem rejects Jesus. They choose another path. They are going to rebel against Rome. The Romans are going to send a general named Titus in 70 AD, they would surround the city of Jerusalem, they would lay siege to it, and what happened in that besieged city was going to be horrific judgment. That's what Jesus is talking about in verses 28 through 31. Now, this is a cautionary word for us, because if we reject Jesus, judgment will come. On the cross, Jesus was taking the judgment we deserve. Jesus was taking God's righteous judgment against sin in our place. Jesus, who had no sin, on the cross says, let it fall on me. But friend, if you reject Jesus as your savior, that judgment for sin will fall on you. That need not happen. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. His way to the cross. Secondly, we see his way on the cross. What happens on the cross? Let's begin with verses 32 and and 33. Two others criminals were also led away to be executed with him when they arrived at the place called the skull 
they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. So all four of the Gospels tell us that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Now, in, 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 in having him die that way, the, the opponents of Jesus were making a point. They had him die between two criminals because the message they wanted to send is that this guy's a criminal. Look at the way he's dying. He's dying between two criminals because he is a criminal. That's the message they wanted to send. But God had another message that he wanted to send. And that is that Jesus dies between two criminals because Jesus came to save sinners. And we've seen time and time again in this gospel that Jesus is among sinners. He's right in the middle, in the midst of sinners. Sitting down at the table with sinners. Identifying with sinners. Reaching out to sinners. Saving sinners. And and here we're going to see the beautiful conversion of one of these sinners on the cross beside the Lord Jesus. Something that we only see in the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, Matthew and Mark make it clear that at first, it was both of these criminals on the right and the left that were verbally abusing Jesus and cursing Jesus. But at some point in the day, the Spirit of God begins to do a miracle in the heart of one of these men. And, and, and we see it here in verses 40 through 42. Look at it. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Wow, what has happened to this guy? This guy earlier in the day was cursing Christ. What has happened to him? This is a miracle of God's grace. You know, this is the Holy Spirit. This is Ezekiel 36, 26. (laughs) I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's what's happening here in this man. And we see all of the marks of conversion here in his life. First of all, we, we see that the Spirit gives to him a reverent fear of God, God's judgment. Look at verse 40 again. The other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? This man has lived a godless life. I mean, he's lived a life like the life that Paul talks about in Romans 3 when he says there was no fear of God before their eyes. But now, in this moment, as he is facing eternity, 
there comes upon him, and this can only come by the Holy Spirit, there comes upon him this reverent awe and fear of God and the reality that he's about to enter eternity and face judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, and just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, I want to tell you, every single one of us has two, at least two things in common today. One, we're all sinners. Two, we're all going to one day stand before a holy God who hates sin. Now, in that moment, are you going to have a savior at your side? Are you going to have an advocate? Are you going to have a savior who took judgment upon himself in your place? Turn to Jesus. Trust him. Second thing that we see here um, is that there's a conviction of sin. Look at verse 41. He says, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. In, in, in true conversion, there's a conviction of sin. We get convicted about our own sin. We, we quit pointing the finger at other people. We quit playing the blame game. And we become deeply convicted of the reality of our own sin and our own need for a savior. That's happening here. And again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16 and verse eight says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction about our sin. That's what's happening in the life of this man. Third, he cries out to the Savior. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what this man is doing. He's calling upon the name of the Lord. Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, your kingdom, he's recognizing Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah, the king. Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, he's crying out to the savior. And then in verse 43, we see Jesus' response. Oh, look at it. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor <clears throat> who was martyred by the Nazis. <clears throat> and he was put into a concentration camp for his faithfulness to Christ. And the day that he was executed... He knew it was coming. He knew he was going to be executed that, that day. And Bonhoeffer had been ministering to the, the other men who were in the, the cell with him. 
And as the executioners came to get him, to take him to his death, Bonhoeffer looks at these other men in his cell and he says, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. He knew that that day he was going to be with Christ. And that's the promise of Jesus here. Today you will be with me in paradise. The scripture teaches that if we die in Christ, that we will be with Christ. That in the very next nanosecond after we die, that we will be in the presence of Christ. Many of us miss loved ones today. I would do anything to hug my dad today if I could. But I know I will see him again. We will be together in glory. And this is the promise of the scriptures. Philippians 1 and verse 23 says, Paul says, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul says, look, when my earthly life ends, what's going to happen? I'm going to be with Christ, which is better by far. 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 6 through 8. Paul says, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so listen, the moment that a Christian dies, what, is, what happens to them? Philippians 1.23, they depart to be with Christ which is better by far. Second Corinthians five, when a Christian dies in the very next moment, they are away from the body, but at home with the Lord. They are absent from the body, present with the Lord. This is exactly what Jesus says to this man. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now the great English pastor J.C. Ryle says this, let us remember these things when our believing friends fall asleep in Christ. We must not sorrow for them as those who have no hope. While we are sorrowing, they are rejoicing. They are safe and happy with their Lord. To die is a solemn thing, but if we die in the Lord, we need not doubt that our death will be gain. Praise God. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. <clears throat> and that word paradise refers to a garden. Now this has a rich biblical history going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Where does God place the first human beings? In a garden. But then in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, what happens? They're out of the garden and there's a flaming sword blocking their way back into the garden where the tree of life is. But what does Jesus make possible for believers? Revelation 2 
and verse 7. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, think about this man. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about this man. Friends, if we ever needed evidence that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this is it. Because this guy doesn't have a chance to do a single work for the Lord. He would have if he had lived, certainly. You know, if conversion is genuine, if we're genuinely saved, it's going to result in, in works. But, but he doesn't have a chance to do, it, do that. He dies that day. It's all of grace. Alistair Begg points to the thief on the cross. <laughs> and he, Alistair, Alistair says, you know, uh, imagine, imagine later on this day, this guy gets to heaven. And imagine, imagine if one of the angels comes up to him and he says, what, what are you doing here? You wasted your life, godless living. You know, you never did a single good work for the Lord. You were never baptized. You never joined a church. And yet, you made it. How did that happen? And uh, this man looks at the angel and he says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Friends, that's the only way any of us can ever come. It's because of the man on the middle cross. It's because there's a savior. A savior who had no sin, but who died for sinners like you and me. That's the only way any of us can come. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The man on the middle cross. And it's his sacrifice that we remember as we take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are so blown away by your love for us in the gospel. Father, that you gave your son who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we can stand before you and be adopted by you as a father, not on the basis of our own righteousness, which is all we always fall short, but on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Christ who died in our place and who rose from the dead. And Lord, we, we come together to, to, to eat this bread and drink this cup to remember that Christ's blood was shed, that his body was broken for us.
And so, Lord, we pray that you would, you would use this time to draw us closer to you and to take us deeper into the reality of your great love. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.